Good morning, Fairhill Church, and happy Mother's Day. Uh, today we're looking once again at the book of Colossians, seeing that Jesus Christ is enough. Now, last week we saw how Paul was uh, introducing the, the person and nature of Jesus Christ. We saw that he is the creator of heaven and earth, that through him all things were created. We saw that he is the, the recreator and the reconciler, that he is uh, bringing together that heaven and earth, that same heaven and earth, and bringing us into a, a whole new story of which this, this day here and now, this life even, is merely the title page. And so with that in mind, uh, Paul's kind of trying to convince the, the Colossian church that if you know who Jesus is, that of course Jesus Christ is going to be enough. Now that was last week, and this week, Paul is now introducing himself. So we had the intro of Jesus and now the intro of Paul, and Paul's not so fo focused on his person, he's focused on instead uh, his suffering. And he's actually trying to tell the Colossian church that if you understand my suffering, you'll understand that Jesus Christ is enough. And that's what kind of the theme of this passage is, that Paul gives them his own suffering, his rejoicing and his working through and uh, the mission in his suffering and trying to convince the, the Colossian church that Jesus Christ is enough even through that suffering. And so today we're going to see how in suffering, Paul gives the church the fullness of Christ's affliction, the mystery of glory and encouragement of heart. All right, so those three things, fullness of Christ's affliction, he gives them the mystery of glory and encouragement of heart, ultimately kind of coming to this conclusion that suffering completes the work of Jesus by making the glory of Jesus fully known in the hearts of believers. Once again, that, that suffering completes the work of Jesus by making the glory of Jesus fully known. And so let's look at Colossians 1, verses 24 uh, through chapter 2, verse 5. Read with me. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God has chosen to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for the great mystery that is revealed in him that, that Christ is present with us. 
And Father, we thank you for the saints who proclaim that Jesus. And we thank you for their willingness to suffer, to bring that message of glory and of Christ's presence and his unity with us to his body, the church. And Father, I ask that in that suffering, we might see the, the full riches of the glory and the mystery that is found in Jesus Christ and that we may rejoice, that we may rejoice and we may even join in that suffering that we may bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to full fruition. Father, would you speak to our hearts through, the, through your spirit? Would you unite us to Christ in this time we pray in his name? All right, so this first section, uh, Paul is introducing himself to the church in Colossae, and this church doesn't know Paul. Paul didn't start this church. Unlike most of the letters in the, in the New Testament, these New Testament epistles, most of those churches actually Paul started himself, but uh, the Colossian church, he didn't start. And so he's wanting to introduce himself, and he introduces himself namely through his suffering. Now that's appropriate because he's in prison during this time, and He's kind of well known for the sufferings that he goes through to bring the gospel of Jesus to the Gentile church. But here is, here is Paul describing himself and introducing himself as a leader, as an apostle, a missionary, uh, a teacher. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that is given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known and the mystery hidden for ages and, and generations, but now revealed to his saints. All right, so what is Paul doing? Paul is rejoicing in his suffering. And he's bringing that to the forefront. And he's rejoicing in his suffering because his suffering he sees as necessary. That it's necessary, actually so necessary that he describes it as as fulfilling and filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. All right, so what is he saying? He's saying that the work of Jesus, in some sense, the suffering of Jesus is not enough that it needs to be filled up further and that his suffering fills it up. All right, that's a strange thing to say because uh, we have to be careful there. In what sense has Jesus Christ not done enough affliction has he not gone through enough suffering? Now, last week we saw that he was the firstborn of the dead, that, that he died, he fully gave himself to the suffering of the mission, and he completely reconciles heaven and earth. So it's not that the sacrifice of Jesus wasn't enough. It wasn't that his death doesn't fully wash away our sins. It's no, not saying that he hasn't completed that work. That when he said... Uh, it is finished. It was truly finished. But instead, what we're saying is that when Paul says he needs to fill up what is lacking in afflictions, what Paul is saying is that in his suffering, he is called to bring that message of Jesus Christ and the fullness of that work to the church, the body of Christ. And that to do that, to bring that gospel message to the world and to the body of Christ, he is going to have to suffer. That the suffering of Jesus was enough, but it needs to be communicated to the world. And what Paul is doing is, in his suffering, he is carrying 
that message in his own body, in his own suffering, afflicted, burdened body to the body of Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on, he says, I'm a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. That's where we see Paul. He is, uh, he's given this amazing place in the church that he is a minister and a steward of this message, this mystery that had been hidden for ages and ages, but now it has been revealed. And Paul is called to be the suffering steward and minister who brings it to the Gentiles and brings it and reveals it to the saints. Now in this, we have to recognize a, a core truth that we don't want to lose, even as we talk about the sovereignty of God, that the message of Jesus It's given to his people, it's given to the ministers, it's given to the apostles, it's given to the church. And that God has sovereignly chosen to work through broken vessels, jars of clay filled with glory to bring the message of Jesus to the world. That the, the, the message of the cross isn't just going to supernaturally pop into people's minds. That's not how the, the message is reaching the churches. No, that it is the suffering servants who take it upon themselves to bring it. And what Paul is doing, he's saying that his suffering is proof that he has done his due diligence, that he has been a faithful steward, that he has brought the gospel as evident by the fact that he is now suffering. That's where you might think, well, uh, no, if Paul did a good job, why is everyone, why would he be persecuted? If he's doing a good job and doing it winsomely, shouldn't he uh, just be lauded in the streets and welcomed? No, he's saying that he's been true to the gospel because he is suffering. The evidence is right there. And so uh, it's kind of like, okay, how do you know you had a good workout? Because it hurts afterwards. You realize it when you can't get up in the morning. Uh, when you're trying to sit down and you don't want to do it anymore. You, the pain is evidence that it's really working. And the same thing, like if you're, if you're really working hard and you're trying to learn something new, like that fuzzy feeling in your brain when you just like, when your hair is falling out, that's when you know something's really happening. Uh, and for Paul, his suffering is evidence that the gospel's really going forth. Because the nature of the gospel is that it's not just this message of, of joy and it's a difficult message. That in that message is uh, the total annihilation of any hope that we could save ourselves. It's the destruction of our own independence, our own self-righteousness. He completely destroys any of that. That all of our works are filthy rags. It's not a feel-good message. And I think of, of uh, teaching Remy about Easter, and you have to deal with, like, this is, this is not like a warm, fuzzy story. That if you're going to talk about the work of Jesus, you have to talk about death and, and mistreatment and, and blood and sacrifice and people who, who receive this God of love and who hate him and reject him 
and that the sin in their hearts makes them lash out against the God who gave them life. If that message is proclaimed faithfully and that message is truly carried, it brings with it suffering. And Paul isn't beating himself up about that. What he's saying is that, yes, as much as there is a message of of mercy and, and grace and forgiveness, it can't come without recognizing that we are broken sinners who cannot save ourselves. And the fact that some are only getting that that hard message, he says, is proof that he's really doing it. Now, why, why, do, we, why do we talk about that? What are, we, what are we trying to get out of that? We need to see that there really is a, a cost to, to carry the gospel. And that as sufferers, um, we, we bear our crosses and we carry the gospel to the world. Now, we are called to be stewards of that gospel. We are called to be people who want to bring the gospel to the world. And we need to recognize that if we're going to fill up what is lacking in the work of Christ, it's going to be by suffering to show people the word of Jesus that that is one of the callings of of those who are entrusted with the gospel. And it's beautiful that Paul here, he's rejoicing in the midst of it. He's rejoicing because he knows that in his suffering, Jesus Christ is getting the glory, that Jesus Christ is getting lifted up, that the name of Jesus is going forward. Now, uh, that takes us to the next question. Okay, so he's, he's suffering to fill up what is lacking in Jesus Christ's affliction, to really give people uh, the message of Christ. But what is that message? What is the mystery that he's talking about? This mystery that has been hidden for ages. He's saying, my, my suffering reveals The mystery, verse 27. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that he may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. He suffers to communicate this mystery, and the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, what are we saying there, Christ in you? This is one of the most amazing things that happens, that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, it isn't just this kind of intellectual transaction, that actually we and Christ are unified. And that Christ and all of his works come into us and come upon us. And we, in all of our sin, we are entered into Christ. And that Jesus takes all of our sin and he gives us all of his righteousness. And we stand now in Christ. Christ in us. That everything that Jesus Christ has done is now applied to you. that you are seen as Christ because Christ is in you. And what Paul's trying to do here is he's fighting and he's suffering and he's rejoicing in his suffering because he is trying to help the 
the churches, the Gentile churches, to understand how amazing that is. That Jesus Christ would be in us, and that that would be the foundation for the hope of glory. All right, look at what, look at what he says. He says that he, he's, trying to, he's trying to make known the greatness of the riches of the glory of this mystery. The greatness of the riches of the glory. All right. Uh, did you ever play this game when you were kids where you try to like top each other? And it's usually, it usually happened when it's like, if you had a wish, what would you wish for? And then the kid would start like, I wish for a million dollars. And then the kid would be like, well, I wish for a million billion dollars. And then you, and then you get this, this naughty kid and he's like, I would, I would guess for a, a Google number. Uh, did you hear what the Google was? It's like a one with a hundred zeros after it. And then you have the Ken who's like, I, I'm gonna do the Googleplex which is the, the Google to the Google with power. And all right, so it's trying to, trying to build it up and it's, it's building and building, but that's what Paul's kind of doing here. All right, what's he doing? He's the greatness of the riches of the glory of the mystery. Uh, he's trying to press like, the, like, it's more and more and more valuable. And that's where Paul isn't just trying to convince the people the, of the truth of the gospel or just to, to acknowledge the gospel. He's trying to help them see the, the immense riches and beauty and value of what this is. They would see Christ in us, the hope of glory, in all of the, the infinite value that it is. Now, when we say that, he's connecting to a certain aspect. Christ in us, the hope of glory hope of glory. Now, we've talked about glory countless times here. Um, what are some pictures of glory? All right, pictures of glory so we get the, the sense of it. All right, you see glory when the, the sprinter is the first to cross the line and the stadium erupts. And they, they are carrying their flag and all cameras are on them. That they have won, they are the victors. That's glory. All right, you see it when the, when the war hero comes home and the, the Medal of Honor is placed on his chest by the president. That's glory. Victory and, and honor. That they're saying, like, you, you have done it and you have done well. All right, the picture of the parents brimming with pride as their child does something that is that is sacrificial and beautiful and great. The pride that they get, the, the, the glory. It's the picture of the, the team all huddling around the trophy and the, the champagne bottles flowing and everyone cheering, glory. And what Paul is saying is, Paul is saying is that Christ in us is our hope of glory. The hope of glory. The hope that in the end, we will stand victorious. And we will stand triumphant. And we'll stand beautiful and powerful and, and righteous and holy. And with the Father looking upon us in delight. And with the crown on our head. Having victory in peace and joy and contentment. And what Paul is saying is, I want you to understand that Christ in you is your hope of that glory. And it is your only hope. 
It is our only hope. Because remember last week, we talked about how, who this Jesus is. All right, remember, he is the firstborn of creation. All right, all things are for him and were made by him and through him. All things are about him. And so if Christ is in us, then all of the glory of the creator and all creation screams his praises and suddenly we have a part in that. Suddenly we enter into that, that we have some stake in the, the whole universe's glory. We see that he's the firstborn from the dead. That he died and he was resurrected in a recreated world, defeating sin and death and evil. And is lifted up as Lord of salvation. And here is God saying, like, yeah, I, I see that in you. I see Christ in you. He is in you too. When we see that Christ in us is bringing us with him into eternal resurrected life for all eternity, the hope of glory. And that's where we have to ask ourselves, where is the hope of glory in your life? Is it in your achievements? Is it in what, what you think you can do right here and now? And I want to say, okay, here, here's what you can do. Let's compare that to, to being in Jesus, to have, having Christ in you and his achievements, his creation, his recreation, his working perfectly in love at all times, in all holiness, in all righteousness. All right, do you want to be, be acknowledged for, for your glory or for Christ? All right, do you, want, do you want glory for who you are? And you're trying to build up just kind of your personality, your identity, your, your kindness, your intelligence, your... All of these things compared to the person of Jesus Christ. He's the Lord of the universe. He's the recreator. He's firstborn of creation. He's firstborn of recreation. He is the one who's reconciled all things. And you can enter into that and see him as your hope of glory. Or maybe you're thinking, okay, my hope for glory is in this life. And maybe I can convince enough people to see me as worthy of glory. Or maybe I can do something amazing enough that yes, I will be someone who is worthy of honor and, and being lifted up. Maybe, maybe I can save enough and be acknowledged as someone who is capable. And it really comes about like, maybe I'll have a really nice tombstone and a lot of people at my funeral. And for 50 years, people remember me. But at the end of that, this life has nothing else for us. And if that is our hope of glory, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be flash paper compared to being in Jesus Christ, the one who rules heaven and earth till the very end, until infinity goes to infinity. That's what we're talking about. What is your hope of glory? to stand before your Father in righteousness and for him to look in you and delight in you, not because of yourself, but because he sees Jesus Christ in you.
Paul gets excited about sharing that mystery, about revealing that mystery to the world. And what is he saying? He's saying, you know, I, I will suffer for that. I will joyfully suffer to bring that to the world. And I will live in that hope and I will give that hope to the world as well. And that's where he says, he says, him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. All right, it's not that he wants to like create all of this, this other stuff and complicate it. No, he wants to give them Jesus. And maturity is not knowing all these other things. It's knowing the hope of glory in Jesus Christ more deeply and to our, our core, to our foundation, that we would know that we are secure in Jesus Christ. That all of our, our sin and guilt and shame is wiped away. And now that we stand in Jesus, our hope of glory is secure. And he goes on to say that, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. What is he saying there? He's saying that, you know what? That hope of glory, it, it pushes me forward. And it drives me. And I know that Jesus Christ is being glorified for what he's done. And I know that he is being proclaimed as the one hope. And as I, I am filled with that, I am pushed forward and I am strengthened and I go out. All right, so what is this suffering? Suffering fills up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. Suffering is a means by which this mystery is revealed but then finally, Paul goes on and has one final point, and he tells them that, well, it's kind of weird, actually. Uh, he basically is he's saying, like, you know, it's really important that you know that I've suffered a lot, which is kind of weird. It seems kind of self-serving. Like, oh, I, by the way, you've never met me, but I've suffered a lot for you, and you should be really... Uh, and the question is, why? Why is he... Why is this, his introduction, why does he make this such a big deal? And he tells us, he tells us it's because his suffering is an encouragement to their hearts. Look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He tells them this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. Why? That their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of faith in Christ. All right, so this is could have been held up as, oh, Paul's just boasting about how awesome he is in Christ and how much he suffered. Now, maybe it's received as like this kind of guilt trip. Look how much I've suffered. How much have you guys suffered, Colossian Church? Um, but he doesn't say that. And to the extent that we read that into it, it's, that's a problem with our hearts. We're not really seeing what he's trying to say. And what he's saying is, no, I say this to encourage you. Now, why is suffering encouraging to the church, why is it encouraging to you and to me? I think it's encouraging because as we look at Paul's life, 
we see someone who really is putting their hope in Christ. Someone who is living as the, that the hope of glory is Jesus Christ alone and who is seeing the great value of that and living out the value of that. That if you look at someone who's, who's willing to suffer for something, uh, it, it shows the value of it. You can assess the value of something by, by what people are willing to lose for it. If one thing you're willing to, to lose $10 for, another thing you're willing to lose $50 for, uh, this, the latter one is more valuable. It's just, that's just how it works. And what he's saying is, you know what? What's the value of something that you're willing to sacrifice your comfort and your security and your safety and your reputation and your glory in this world, what is the value of that thing? And that's where Paul, Paul talks about his suffering. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 11, he talks that, that uh, he has suffered far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings and often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food and in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. All right, Paul has suffered. Paul has suffered, and yet he is rejoicing, and he is pressing forward because, what is this saying? This is saying the hope of his glory is Jesus. And he is not living for the glory of today. He is living to proclaim the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, what do we do with that? I think the temptation is for us to say, well, I'm not suffering that much for the gospel. What am I suffering? I'm not suffering. Uh, maybe I need to do more. Maybe I need to suffer more. All right, that's not the application. You are not Paul. Paul, Paul gets to be the minister. He's, the, he's the, the apostle. He was entrusted with something amazing. And what are we supposed to take from this? We're supposed to, like the Colossian church, he doesn't tell us to do it. He tells us, be encouraged by it. Be encouraged by the fact that this is so beautiful that someone would, would sacrifice so much for it. And, and take that to heart. Let that suffering be uh, a picture to you of how amazing the fact of, of that Jesus Christ is in you. May you actually see the value of the hope of glory, which is Christ in you. That's what he wants you to take from this. No guilt trip, no do more, just see the beauty of Jesus. And we can do that and we can be in awe of the value of the gospel. I think of the apostles. That all of them, minus one, would, would die for this gospel. That they'd be martyred for it. And it, it reminds me that 
This message is real. That these men saw Jesus Christ, they saw him as their hope of glory, and they lost their life knowing and entrusting themselves to, to something greater. To hope not in this world, but to hope in the world to come. And we can, we can draw that out and look further and look deeper and see kind of all of these beautiful pictures and witnesses of those who have suffered for the faith. I think of some of our, the, the great missionaries. I think of uh, Richard Wurmbrand, who was tortured for 14 years in a communist camp, beaten and beaten, saying, just renounce, renounce Christ but who pressed on for, for years and years and years. I think of someone like Hudson Taylor, who was a missionary to China, who was as English as you could be, but what did he become? He became as Chinese as you can be, laying off all of, all of his comforts, the life that he knew, and become, became like fully, to become all things to all people that, that he may win some. I think of Elizabeth Elliot going with a toddler to the Indian tribe that had murdered her husband for bringing the gospel and going in his footsteps to bring the gospel again for the value of the gospel because their hope was in the glory of Christ. Now we could go to, to the history and the, the reformers I think of John Knox. He's enslaved in French galley ships. He's rowing, rowing for years as a slave because he had st stood up and, and held to Protestant doctrine. You think of Martin Luther. He's outcast and, and fleeing, called a heretic, fleeing for his life so that he could proclaim that, no, we are not saved by what we can do. We are not buying our way to heaven we are saved by faith and grace and Christ and those alone. And as we look out and see the, the nations and the churches that are persecuted, the martyred and imprisoned pastors, as we look and see those who are, who are kicked out of their homes and abandoned by their families, as we look at the burnt down and, and, and blown out churches, what do we see? We see the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is not a call to guilt. It is a call to rejoice in the value. The value upon value upon value of Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. Paul asks that the church in seeing his suffering, would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. What's he saying? He's saying, don't let anyone convince you that anything is better. Jesus Christ is enough. Christ is enough. He is more valuable. He is more glorious. He is the only thing we should put our hope in. And the suffering of these people proves it. I, lo I love how Hebrew says, it says that 
when it looks at the, the martyred and the persecuted, it says that the world is not worthy of them. But the new heavens and new earth are their home. And that's where we, we long to be, that our hope of glory is with Christ, with those saints in heaven. And we run there. And to the extent that we're called to suffer, let us suffer alongside them. Let us suffer walking behind them. And let us, let us be those who are willing to suffer that, that a generation may come behind us. That they may follow us and see and say, you know what, I think, I think this gospel is something amazing. Look at, look at how even Fairhill Church has suffered for it. I'll leave you with Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Brothers and sisters, let's, let's join him there. Let us put our hope that we are, that, that that seated Jesus is in us and that he is our hope of glory. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at what you can do with suffering, that you can use it to, carry forth your gospel, that you can use it to make the mystery of Jesus Christ's value known, that you can use it to, to encourage people in the value of Jesus Christ. And Father, I ask that we would first see those who have suffered and that we would love Jesus and be encouraged to persevere. And Father, for those of us who are called to, to suffer, Think of moms communicating the gospel to their children. I, I think of those who would be persecuted in the workplace. Those who would be outcast for speaking of Christ. That would do so with joy that we are communicating the mystery of the glory of God that is revealed in Jesus. And that, Father, we may be an encouragement to those who come after us. Father, would you work in this church? Would you fill us with the hope of glory, which is Christ in us? We pray in his name. Amen. And now uh, hear your benediction. And whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's good to be with you, Fairhill Church. We love you guys. Happy Mother's Day and happy Sunday.